Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 13 and 14. I simply call the message into salvation. It's a phrase that's on down in the text. Ace means unto or into or in, in salvation. To be in the salvation of God. To be caused to be into the salvation of God. There's seven words in this text, in this passage. that put, give us pieces of the salvation of God. The doctrine of salvation is so, it has so many elements and all of them come together to make the whole. And we divinely by divi- by the divine power of god participate or we are caused to participate in these elements and seven of them are mentioned here in this passage of scripture beginning in verse 13 so we'll look at it together he's comforting And sort of bragging on the Thessalonians because they were really a good church. Their outreach efforts had gone into Macedonia and Achaia. He talked about that in 1 Thessalonians. They, what they were doing as a persecuted church and the effects that the Holy Spirit was causing throughout that region through the efforts and work of the Thessalonians was newsworthy all across the region. And Paul mentioned that in 1 Thessalonians as well. Everybody around talking about the faith and the work and the results of the Lord through the Thessalonians at the church at Thessaloniki. So as he continues to build them up, of course, he's We've already seen this. He's explained to them the doctrine of last things in the church. Eschatology, the doctrine of last things. Within systematic theology, you have eschatology. Today it's soteriology, it's salvation. But you have this eschatology and it, it has this one subdivision within it that's the the eschatology of the church when the church when end things last things occur in the church and the church is drawn to its conclusion on planet earth that doesn't mean that all of the end things have happened The, the, the doctrine of eschatology continues on into the time of the tribulation and so forth But he gives great teaching 
in both letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, regarding the eschatology of the church. So there is this, there is this, the, the revelation is a wonderful thing to study. And we are promised a blessing by, by the author of the book itself at the first of the book if we read the book. But the eschatological persuasions, applications from chapters 4 on to chapter 19 or 20, all of that is an eschatology that really doesn't apply to the church. Church already be gone. These are the things that uh, Paul straightens out in the Thessalonians church and we benefit from that today. The doctrine of the rapture uh, and, and within eschatology of the church, the things we looked at last time about how these things won't happen until you're taken out of the way. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we have other, uh, we have other addendums to that doctrine of the last things of the church in other parts of the scripture. But he's, he's taught the people these things and we are enriched because of it, because there are, there are wonderful and new things revealed to the church here by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit that otherwise are not really seen in other places or what we see in Thessalonians clarifies what we see in other places. But in doing that, he continues to strengthen and edify the church because of their position in Christ, positionally eternally saved. So there are, there are seven aspects of that here that we see in verses 13 and 14. Now, there are other aspects in other parts of the New Testament. Seven of them are here, and this is what draws our attention. And so now it's the teaching or the doctrine of salvation in the church. And it's something I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have taught them. But now he writes it down and they're at least reminded. But we ought to give thanks to God always concerning you, brothers. And here we go. Seven elements of the salvation of God that are divinely applied to us, those of us who are in Christ. Number one, beloved by the Lord. That is, the, of course, you see the Greek word. It is the, it is the agape love. Agape is the root of that Greek word up there. It is, it is a love that is divinely imposed. It doesn't respond to anything. It is just given. And it is given sacrificially. Whatever it takes you have my love. Now, the interesting thing here in the Greek text is it's in what's called the perfect passive. Now, in the perfect, it means that the action has occurred in the past, but it has continuing results. And so I am always and forever in the love of God. God has established this 
with those who are his elect from before the foundation of the world. It is a thing of God. I cannot grasp it. I cannot reach up and grab it. It is God who gives it to me. This love is seen in the Old Testament as the covenant love. It's, it's some kind, sometimes translated as loving kindness or, or mercy. But we move over into the New Testament. This, this is God's eternal love for the church. So here it is. In, in, the, uh, in the, being in the, being in the passive, it means that the, that the, the action is imposed upon us and it keeps on going. So it's, it's an eternal love. It is the eternal love of God. It is something that comes from God first. First John 4, we read that we love because he first loved us. Outside of that, we don't have the capacity for it. One of the great teachings that every Christian ought to engage in, and it takes a while, and you can just limit yourself to the New Testament if you want to, is to study the love of God. People have misconceptions about the love of God. For those who are in Christ, the love of God is absolute, it is eternal, and it first comes from God to the, to the one being loved. We have nothing, we're not lovable. God chooses to love us, that's grace. It pleases God to love us by his pleasure, according to his will and purpose. It pleases God to love us who are the called in Jesus Christ. So we are always and forever eternally beloved by the Lord. Now he follows that up with six more things. Beloved by the Lord because number two, God has chosen you from the beginning. Now there's that doctrine of election and calling and so forth that makes a lot of people uneasy. Let me just say this. When I was saved, that sort of thing didn't mean anything to me. I, I couldn't understand it. I'll, I'll spend eternity trying to understand it. That God would love me. But as I grew in the faith, you know, Peter admonishes us to, to, to grow in Christ and in the grace of the Lord. To grow in grace. To take the doctrine of grace and grow in it. It's like grace, grace is something that just like we are when we are saved, immature. Grace in our minds is not matured yet. We don't have the full grasp of it. And I suppose it'll take us into the ages of the ages and we may never exhaust the real meaning of the grace of God. But it is by the grace of God that we are chosen. God, you're beloved eternally. We, we saw that. We, chosen is in the aorist tense. To be in the aorist means 
that it is a single one-time successful action and being in the middle voice means that that action just keeps on going. I can never be unchosen. That's what that means. For it to be in that voice and to be in that uh, tense, I can never be unchosen. I can never be unloved because, because of the structure of the Greek verb as it was written originally from the divine inspiration of the Lord. I can never be unloved in my salvation. I can never be unchosen. We used to have a guy, when I, we used to play tackle football all the time in recess. That's what we called it. Recess. Man, we would leave a vapor trail to run out to the field to play tackle football. And there were always these two self-proclaimed studs who would choose. You know, how do they get to choose? Who chose them to choose? You know, you had all kinds of questions. But you'd run out there, and I guess the first two guys out there would, I'm going to choose, I'm going to. We had this guy named, well, I can't remember his real name. We called him Penalty. That, that was what everybody called him, penalty. Because he just, he just played dirty, he cheated, he just did everything wrong. And when all of the choosing was over, nobody wanted penalty. He'd just stand in there. And he would sort of have to choose the team he wanted to be on because nobody paid any attention to him. May I say to you, that the choosing of God is far different from that. Chosen from the beginning. Chosen. You see that word in the Greek text up there. Uh, it's, uh, it means to choose by preference. And it means that to choose by preference, meaning that all others aside from this one preferred were not according to this single person prefer so you are you are preferred a a single decisive preference now there it is again i said to you cho chosen it's in the air it's one time thing it won't ever change in the middle voice it's always the same it continues with its results. It never reverses itself. Always, always chosen. So if you want to take, if, if you want to take the contrast to that, penalty was never chosen. I don't know if penalty is going to go to heaven or not, but I can tell you this, if he does and we're in heaven, nobody's going to choose penalty to be on their team if we get to play tackle football. Contrarywise, we can never be unchosen because out from the beginning, you see that? Chosen, apakres, apo, out from, our case, the absolute beginning, the chief initiation from the beginning, out from the beginning. So when when the beginning began, we were already there, chosen, and we were out from the beginning. Can you see that? We can never be unchosen in Christ. Chose you has chosen you from the beginning. That's the second thing. 
I'm always and eternally loved. I was loved. He loved me before I loved him. He knew me before I knew him. He had me as his own before I could ever call out to him and ask him to be my own. It belongs to eternity. The only thing that makes me part of eternity is the divine action of God. You see? He makes me part of eternity and does everything that has to be done to be sure that I'm placed there, kept there, and will never be moved from that place. So that's the second thing. First thing, eternally loved. Second thing, eternally chosen. Third thing, into salvation. Salvation, the word, soterian, the word means to be rescued from destruction. Perhaps the most distressing thing to me in these modern days is that the whole world seems to live without shame regarding sin. Shameless. Openly bragging on the ungodly ways that people live. Shamelessness. No no sense of uh, remorse or shame, just in many, in many ways proud of this. Now, we know the Bible teaches us about the original sin. The Bible also teaches us that the existence of the history of mankind, the history of mankind and all that attends to the things of man are within the divine purpose of God, according to God, and are spiraling down to an absolute end. As a matter of fact, if you study the doctrine of the church, you will find that in many ways, so many within Christendom, and I do not say within the church, but I say within Christendom, who think of themselves as attached to the church somehow, so many will spiral down into that shame. I used to preach a sermon a long time ago, the rupture of the church. And I used to preach, you know, the church will rupture before it raptures. Because in the writings of Paul, in the writing, well, in the seven churches, uh, even, in, even from the words of Christ, the existence of man is not that man gets better. Man doesn't. Man gets worse. Sin overwhelms. And God is so incensed by sin. Now think of God. The wrath of God. Think about that. I, you know, if, if, if I was unrestrained and overwhelmed with wrath... I or any other human being could unleash a great deal of destruction upon people and property. 
Now, thank God we are, by the Holy Spirit, those in the church in Christ are restrained from all that. But outside of Christ, there's no limit to the depths of degradation to which a man can fall. It affects all of the universe. The universe is playing out. The animals turned on one another. Even nature itself rebelled with weeds and thorns and thistles. It's a horrible and terrible thing to know that at the end of the present state in which we live, the universe, it is a powerful thing to know that it will finally come to an end, to its destruction. The Bible teaches that. The wrath of God on sin is so overwhelming that God dissolves the whole universe. Now you think of that. This is, you know, I, back in the 70s when people had bumper stickers, there used to be this popular bump, bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming again and boy is he mad. He comes initially, the initial destruction begins with the Gentile powers at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. But it ends then with the son delivering up the kingdom to the father and all kingdoms are his. And Peter says the elements will melt with fervent heat. When the great white throne of judgment, the final judgment is established and set up, the Bible says that the earth and heavens will fly away from the presence of it. There won't be, it'll all be destroyed except for the lake of fire and then the new heaven and the new earth after that. So if you back up the present state in which we live, nothing is going to survive except for those of us who are in Christ. Nothing else will survive. Not, not the planet. A lot of people are so in love with the planet Earth. Hey, I like the planet. I like clean water and I like the food that comes out of it. And I like, I mean, methane and all. I like to eat beef. You know, I enjoy the planet. And I'm as in love with a whale as anybody else. It disturbs me to see tornadoes rip up old trees. But that's not life for me. Because I know that ultimately all things are destined for destruction because of sin. In Christ, hear me, in Christ, into salvation, I am absolutely, eternally delivered from the impending destruction that's coming upon everything. I'm rescued from it because I'm in Christ. Nothing can touch me in that judgment. Absolutely nothing. So eternally loved, chosen from before the foundation of the world into a preservation, into deliverance, such that I am eternally delivered and made safe from the destruction that's coming. It'll come. 
Everything is moving just like clockwork, like the Lord said it would. It's mostly thrilling to me, but what we have to pass through to get to the end of it is, even as the church before the rapture is distressing, I suppose, but yet still there's the thrill and the joy to know that we're this close to the coming of the Lord into salvation. Now, that's number three. Number four. Into salvation in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now the word sanctification, it's, it, means, it means to be set apart. Uh, it, it means to be set aside. It means that you're separated. There, I don't have it underlined, but uh, it's, uh, I guess more, uh, to, be, to be set aside for Holiness. I'm trying to live in obedience to Christ. I still live in a fallen world and I'm dragging around a body that has not yet been glorified. And unfortunately from time to time, and I fear this every day in my life, I'm afraid that I respond to the things of the flesh. And I think things that I ought not to think and sometimes do things that I ought not to do. Now, the difference with regard to a child of God is we are immediately crushed into repentance to ask for forgiveness. But it is not my, it is not me making myself holy. I couldn't separate myself. To the holy purpose of God, God does it. I'm regenerated. I'm born again. And I'm a work in progress. Everyone in Christ, in this life, in, on this side of heaven, we are a work in progress. And so we are loved and chosen into salvation, into rescue from destruction, and set apart by the Spirit and by faith, number five, and by faith of the truth. Now, that's an interesting phrase, faith. Faith is a gift. It's not more clearly seen than it is here. Faith of the truth. It's not, it doesn't say in the truth. Now, I have faith in the Bible, of course, I've. I believe the Bible. I believe it's absolute truth. But here it is aletheos, of the truth, of the truth. It's uh, by faith, aletheos, of the truth. This faith is mine because of the things that had preceded the eternal love, the eternal election, and the deliverance from all things that are bringing destruction and being set apart by the Holy Spirit. All of these things have produced the faith that is the faith which is defined in the truth, the faith of the truth. 
When these other things, and these are, you know, it's not like I have to go step one and step two. It's not, man, boom, it, the Lord calls you and things are set for you from before the foundation of the world. God's taking care of you. And the faith that is produced is the faith of the truth. The faith that is defined in the truth. Now look at that. You see, God has done all these things and God has brought you to faith of the truth. This is, this is part of my regeneration. I don't start out understanding it and I struggle with a lot of it. But my faith is the faith that at the end of it all is that faith which is defined in the truth. It is the faith which God gives to me. I cannot attain this faith. Faith is a gift. And it is that way because of what has preceded in verse 13. By faith of the truth, into this he also called you. Through our gospel. Called you through our gospel. So how am I called? The irresistible call of God. Eternally loved. In God's eternal election. In God's perfect salvation. In the separating from everything else to be made holy by the spirit brought, given into my life, given the true faith. Into this, he is called through our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says, all that I do, I do for the sake of the elect. Paul had to be told on a certain occasion to go back to a city because the Lord said, I have a lot of people in that city. Well, they didn't know that they were the Lord's and Paul didn't know that they were the Lord's. But he had to go and preach the gospel. And this is what we do as the church. We preach the gospel everywhere. We hopefully freely sow the seed and cast it out that which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we have this truth, this absolute truth. We have this promise. God has told to us he will see to it that it makes its way into the good earth according to his will and purpose. Now, I don't know how he does that. I have to do the other thing. You may be here without Christ. You may be here today and you've never been saved. And at this point, nothing has moved you or disturbed you or whatever. But I'm here to tell you like I would tell anybody else and everybody who may be listening around the world. 1.3 million people last year. I'm, I'm kind of puffed up about that. Well, anyway, God will slap me down. Don't worry. <laughs> Pat will. Um, <laughs> I can say anything about her because she has, she has, she's sick today. But she's watching. Oh, I was just funning. Okay. Meanwhile, back in Thessaloniki. 
called you through our gospel. Without Christ, repent and believe the gospel. That was what Christ said. You're headed this way. Repentance, metanoia. The, the Bible repentance means that you're headed one way, but bang, you're headed the other way now. Repentance is a gift. It only comes from God. You cannot conjure up within your dead self repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the faith of the truth. The gospel that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. It was a simple question. It was a simple question that the deacon asked to the Ethiopian eunuch. When he revealed the truth of Isaiah, the gospel in Isaiah, and the Ethiopian eunuch, a light went off and he understood it was in proximity of the time of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and all that was being said. And he believed. And he said, well, here is water. Stop this chariot. Stop this wagon. Here's water. What hinders me to, from being baptized? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that God has raised him from the grave? Then nothing. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? That God has raised him. If he's the son of God and you believe that God raised him from the dead, then you back up and you believe that he died. If he's the son of God, he didn't, he didn't die by the hand of man. He died a vicarious death, which means he died for me, which means I'm a sinner. And that means that I have to take the place of a sinner. And as a sinner, I have to recognize that I can never save myself. Never, ever, ever. There's not any good thing that I can do. There aren't any quantity of good things that I can do. Only by the power of God that reaches, that reaches within the wretched soul that I am. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead because I know that he died on the cross and he died for me. I'm a sinner. And I need the salvation that he can only give. It's a simple thing. Repent. Yesterday I didn't believe. Today I believe. I repented of all that I am and all that I was. And I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here it is. This is how God calls people. God called you through our gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ that you can live forever, have a home in heaven. You can become, you can come into the family of God. Death will have no power over you. There is no place for you in destruction, in the lake of fire, not even in Hades, the place of torment. There's no place for you there if you're in Christ. Christ said, so that where I am there you may be also. Repent and believe the gospel. To call. Ekalison, ek, out from, kaleo, to call. To call out from a number. It's, it's a first cousin to choosing. To call out from a number through the gospel. The gospel is preached Hopefully ad infinitum in this world, all around the world. 
And as the gospel is preached, some are saved. I have no foreknowledge of that. God does. I don't. That's not my job. It's not within my power. My job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody. And I pray that everybody will be saved. I do not have the mind of God and I cannot understand a lot of these things. But there's one thing that I know. As a servant of Christ, I am compelled to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will hear. Some will be saved. Called you through our gospel. That's number six. Finally, number seven. To the full possession or ownership of the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Peripoesin. The grasp, the, the obtaining the, the full ownership into the full possession the full ownership of the glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ. To be owned by the glory of the Lord. Divinely, he makes those of us who are in Christ part of Christ's glory. I cannot think of a happier And more wonderful thing for me than to know that at the end of all things, in some way, I can be a part of the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the salvation of Of God into or in salvation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. I'm praying that if you came here without Christ today, that you won't leave that way. In a moment, we'll have our closing prayer. As you exit this room and go out into the hallway and the foyer, you will see a couple of rooms that are open and we have deacons and their wives standing in the doorway ready to pray with you. If you would come to Christ today. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and the Lord is calling you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They're ready to pray with you and discuss that with you as well. If that's what the Lord wants in your life, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed from this service in a word of prayer.